You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we've begun our study on 1 Timothy, the first letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the bishop, Timothy, one who is a successor of the apostles. That Timothy, as an evangelical bishop, is one who oversees the preaching of the gospel in the realm of Ephesus. So that Timothy is going to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed purely in Ephesus. Timothy is going to make sure that from that point on into future generations, that all would know how to preach this gospel purely because Paul gives him the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk about, of course, the laying on of hands, that is placing a man into this office, ordaining him to preach Christ and to preach him crucified. Now let's go ahead and uh, pick up where we left off last time. So this is the ESV version, verse 6 of chapter 1. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And of course, uh, what Paul is referring to is the certain persons who are teaching a different doctrine, that Timothy would charge them not to teach a doctrine in opposition to the apostolic doctrine, the doctrine that is founded upon the person and work of Christ. But in particular, Paul's giving examples of such people, uh, certain teachers who would rather be teachers of the law than preachers of Christ crucified. So Paul notes that they have swerved from the truth, that they are not taking hold of these things. Well, what are the these things? Well, what Paul was previously saying about the aim of our charge being love, which of course issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So it's these things. They're not bringing forth a pure heart. Instead, they're keeping people in this corrupted heart due to the fallen nature. They're not giving the hearers a good conscience. That is a conscience that is synced with God's word. Instead, they let the individuals wander away in the imagination of their hearts and consciences. And, of course, then they are not giving this sincere faith, this justifying faith, the living faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given when the gospel is preached and proclaimed purely. For faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. Instead, what are they doing? Well, they are wandering off into vain discussions. That is meaningless talk, empty and useless things. Like what Paul is going to give as an example here. They, they desire to be teachers of the law. 
That is, without the ordering of salvation by faith, in a very similar way to what the Pharisees want to do. Is the Pharisees want you to follow after their man-made methods of making God merciful. The Pharisees then want to put others under judgment who do not follow the Pharisaical way. And that's why the Pharisees judge, they put others under judgment. But such teachers who want to be teachers of the law, well, they lack understanding. They lack understanding in these things, of course, that the charge of love, the aim of our charge, is issuing forth from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Instead, they are so concerned about myths and endless genealogies, just empty words, and then they assert that they are confident in what they are saying. Well, Paul goes on at verse 8 and says this. Now, we know that the law is good. Now, remember, these individuals want to be teachers of the law, and that's what they boast in. So Paul says, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, that's the ESV, the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted." Now again, these are the words of Paul to Timothy as an evangelical bishop who oversees the preaching of the gospel. Paul has been entrusted with the gospel of the glory of God, which of course gives God the glory. God is the one who has delivered us from our sin. The Father sent forth the Son. The Son took upon flesh and blood. The Son took upon our sin on the tree and died because of our guilt. And then he rose again to give us the justification, to make us righteous before the Father by imputing, by declaring and granting the righteousness of Christ to be our own by faith. Now we know that the law is good, for it comes from God who is good. But notice how Paul talks about using the law lawfully. That is, to lead to Christ and not away from him. Now, later on in Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 2, he uses the same kind of understanding when he talks about an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, or literally, according to the lawfully rules, the lawfully competing. That would be according to the rules. Now, when Johann Gerhardt is commenting on these passages, the, the great Orthodox teacher of the Lutheran faith after Martin Luther, after Martin Chemnitz, Gerhardt makes it clear that to use the law lawfully, one is going to use it for behavior and vices being corrected and amended. Of course, not to merit 
favor, not to make God merciful, not to grant peace in the conscience, bringing comfort where the sin uh, brings guilt, but instead to correct, to amend behavior and vices. For in this world, even the baptized still have sin clinging to them. We still live in this body, the body that's inflected or infected, I should say, with the sinful desires of the flesh. And so when we are baptized, we're united into Christ's death. We're united into Christ's resurrection. And we look forward to that last day. In the meantime, we daily die to sin and rise again to newness of life. It's on the last day in the resurrection of the body where sin will no longer have its way with us. But in the meantime, we continue to wrestle and to struggle against this sin that keeps trying to get the upper hand. We die to it daily. We confess it. We rest in the forgiveness that is found in Christ only. Now again, to be clear here, to use the law lawfully means that we're not using it to merit favor, to make God merciful, or to try to gain comfort in the conscience because of our sin. That's the, the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So in this way, the law is not laid down for the righteous, that is, those who are justified. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So then how do you use the law lawfully? Well, that's going to be in opposition to these teachers of the law. So again, Timothy is an evangelical bishop, one who oversees the preaching of the gospel, one who is a minister of the gospel, and one who is going to make sure that he puts men into this preaching office to be ministers of the gospel and not to be teachers of the law. So what does a teacher of the law do? Well, Gerhard gives to us this understanding that a teacher of law is the one who wants to teach the law for justification. Now, again, we've already established that the law is not for the righteous. The law is not given to us so that we may be justified in God's sight. Justification only comes through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus who died for our sin and rose again for our justification. He now stands as the one mediator between God and humanity. He is the high priest right now. So the teachers of the law want to use the law for justification. Gerhard notes that, uh, secondly, they want to use the law for compulsion. And thirdly, Gerhard notes, these guys who want to be teachers of the law, they're using the law for condemnation. So Johann Gerhardt goes on to explain uh, what it means to lawfully use the law. The legitimate purpose of the law is taught in this way, to correct and amend behavior and vices. It's not because the righteous man is not obligated by the law, or is not bound to keep the law, or has been utterly released from laws. Rather, Gerhardt says this must be understood in three respects. Now, these are the three points we made earlier with respect to justification, with respect to compulsion, and finally, with respect to condemnation. So first, with respect to justification, Gerhardt says, the law is not established for the righteous 
so that it can hinder him from the gracious justification through faith in Christ. And then he quotes Romans chapter 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. And then Gerhardt goes on to say, the law is our pedagogue to Christ so that we might be justified from faith. And that's from Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So again, to teach the law lawfully is what we ought to do, but the teachers of the law who don't want to be ministers of the gospel are using the law to try to justify people. That's not how we're justified. We hold that a man is justified apart from the works of the law. So that would be an unlawful use of the law to try to use it to justify people by their own works or merit. Justification comes through faith in the person and work of Christ. It is only for the sake of his merits that we have found favor with God. And then his righteousness is imputed to us and we live in that righteousness by faith. We cling to it. We trust in it. So, with respect to justification, you don't want to use it to try to make people justified. Second, Gearhart goes on to say, with respect to compulsion, you see, since the one who has been justified and regenerated through faith in Christ freely obeys the law and does what is pleasing to God by the leading and impulse of the Holy Spirit, there is no need to pull him back and deter him from sinning by threats of the law. So, in other words, by compulsion, the teachers of the law are trying to use the law and trying to use the threats of the law to deter somebody from sinning. Of course, those who have been justified by faith in Christ, who stands as the mediator between God and humanity, Christ also pours out the Holy Spirit. So, those being justified have been regenerated and the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and in their lives, giving them these new impulses, the new thoughts, the new words, and the new actions. So there's no need to be a teacher of the law and try to, with compulsion and the threats of the law, try to make people stop sinning, try to create people who aren't sinners any longer. In other words, to do such a thing would be the, these teachers of the law putting the hearer back under the law and all the threats that come from the law trying to actually uh, cause this consternation in the conscience. And so therefore, uh, Gerhart will quote from Philo, and Philo says, the righteous need neither commands nor prohibitions. And then Gerhard goes on and says, So the law is no longer established in a way that harms the reborn, but to them it is the norm and rule of good living. Which, of course, he points to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. Nor does it concern the righteous man as coercive, but as guiding. Now, again, notice what Gerhard is doing is he's saying that the teachers of the law want to use the law to coerce. That is, by compulsion to force them to cease from being sinners. Or maybe even by compulsion and coercion to make them do the things of the law. 
It is in Galatians chapter 5 where St. Paul teaches the baptized in Galatia to walk by the Spirit and not to gratify the desires of the flesh because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And Paul says that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in particular, when you drop down to verse 22 in Galatians chapter 5, you see Paul saying that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that last phrase there is what Gerhard is focusing our attention on. Against such things there is no law. So that the law teachers or the teachers of the law want to use the law to coerce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But Paul says, against such things there is no law. It is the fruit of the Spirit. So this is why Gerhard is saying that if you are trying to be a teacher of the law, and using the law to coerce, that is an unlawful use of the law. But the law, of course, in its third use, as we confess in the formula of Concord, is Lutherans. The third use is a guide for the Christian. Now, in the sixth article of the solid declaration of that formula of Concord, we make this clear what we believe, teach, and confess regarding the third use of the law. I quote, For although the law is not made for a righteous man, as the apostle testifies in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, but for the unrighteous, yet this is not to be understood in the bare meaning that the justified are to live without law. For the law of God has been written in their heart, and also to the first man immediately after his creation, a law was given according to which he was to conduct himself. But the meaning of St. Paul is that the law cannot burden with its curse those who have been reconciled to God through Christ nor must it vex the regenerate with its coercion, because they have pleasure in God's law after the inner man. Now let's uh, pause here for a moment and digest and meditate upon what we are learning to confess. Now it's in this small nugget of truth we see the roots of what Johann Gerhard is saying. Again, remember he says that the teachers of the law want to unlawfully use the law. Use it in a way in which it is not intended. It is not intended for justification. For the righteous, those who have been justified by faith, are already righteous by faith with the righteousness of Jesus as a gift. And so, therefore, it should not be used to try to trick people into thinking that if they do these things, then they can become righteous apart from the righteousness of Jesus, which would hinder their trust in the personal work of Jesus. 
Secondly, like Gerhard says, that with respect to compulsion, that is not to be used to coerce these individuals to cease from sinning and to do these good works. And so here in this formula, what we say is that it should not be done for coercion. It should not vex the regenerate with its coercion. Why? Because they already have pleasure in God's law after the inner man. So the one who has been justified by faith is one in which the Holy Spirit is working, regenerating, renewing, restoring, changing, and converting the heart constantly in this life. So as the regenerate, the inner man, the new man, stands before God righteous and holy. And so this law should not be used to vex the regenerate with its coercion. And then likewise, in this little nugget right here, it says the law cannot be used to burden with the curse those who have been reconciled through Christ. So again, that little nugget there is the, the foundation for what Gerhard is saying, that it's not for the righteous. It's not to make a man righteous and justified by his own efforts. It's not to be used to coerce the regenerate. It's not used to burden the conscience with the curse. For in Christ, we are a new creation and there is no condemnation. So thirdly, let's look at what Gerhardt says with respect to condemnation. Johann Gerhardt then goes on to say, the law does not exercise its proper office against the righteous man. Now that's the one who is justified by faith. So again, Gerhardt says, the law does not exercise its proper office against the righteous man, accusing, terrifying, and condemning him. It is not established for the righteous so as to condemn him. For he has been justified through faith in Christ and has been regenerated through his spirit unto a holy life. Now, uh, again, from the solid declaration of the formula Concord, we confess with St. Paul that the law is not made for the justified man, one who is righteous by faith in the person and work of Jesus. But this does not mean that the justified man is to live without the law. But what it does mean is you do not use the law to try to persuade that individual to try to obtain his own righteousness before God apart from the righteousness of Jesus. So the law is not given to make us righteous before God. But at the same time, the one who is justified has a mediator who pours out the Holy Spirit upon us that works in our hearts so that we are beginning to walk in newness of life. And therefore, we don't use the law in the way of the teachers of the law to coerce. In other words, to vex the regeneration with this compulsion and coercion. The regenerate have the Holy Spirit, who is beginning to work this newness of life in us with these new desires, these new ways of thinking and speaking and acting. 
Now, we do this in much weakness, of course. That's why we still need Jesus. That's why in this life, we will never come to the point where we cease from sinning, and we will never come to the point in this life where we no longer need the forgiveness of sins. For in this life, we constantly have sin clinging to our flesh. But daily, we are confessing sin. We are dying to sin, resting in the righteousness of Jesus, and rising again to newness of life, to walk in the Spirit. And so likewise, the regenerate, the justified, those who have Jesus as a mediator, the justified, the regenerate, those who have the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they need not be burdened with the curse of the law. So the teachers of the law want to put their hearers back under the law, under the accusations and condemnations of the law, apart from Jesus the mediator and apart from the Holy Spirit, the one who brings comfort to the conscience, continuing to work to bring this renewal and this restoration in this newness of life. Now, again, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll kind of back up a little bit. Remember what Paul is saying to Timothy is that there are those who want to be teachers of the law. There are those who have fallen away from the things that Paul is teaching Timothy to teach, the apostolic doctrine of the person and work of Jesus by which we have salvation by which we find favor with God and we receive this gift by faith. But yet those who want to be teachers of the law, well, they're not using the law lawfully. Instead, what they are doing is they are teaching without understanding. But then Paul says to Timothy, we know, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. But the teachers of the law want to use it unlawfully. And so Paul says, understanding this, this is how we use the law lawfully, for it is good. God is good. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, that is, the one who is righteous through faith alone in Jesus alone, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now again, this understanding here is that the law comes from God. But those who are lawless are without God's law. Yet those who want to be teachers of the law lack the understanding. And so Paul says, yes, the law is laid down for the disobedient. That is, those who are insubordinate, who do not put themselves under the ordering of God, God's institutions. The ungodly, that is, the impious, those who are living without regard for religious belief and practice. I mean, this is the same language that Paul will use, like in, for instance, Romans chapter 4, in which Paul says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Again, to be righteous by faith is to trust in the work of Jesus, so that Jesus is the one who justifies the impious. So it's not justifying those who do these good deeds. So we do not use the law to make ourselves righteous in God's sight, but why? By what we have done to impress him. So the ungodly is the one who is practicing this immorality. Or Paul will refer to this in Romans chapter 5, saying that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, that is the impious, that is those who regard, have no regard for religious belief and practice. But instead, on the other hand, uh, the pious are those who are devoted to the religious belief and practice, those who trust in Christ for salvation, who are justified by the righteousness of Jesus, justified by his blood, and have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling that begins to teach us new ways of thinking, of speaking, and acting, and of walking. Those who want to be teachers of the law teach their hearers to glorify in their own good works. Instead, preachers of the gospel glorify God for his work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.